Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Are you on Clubhouse? This is Dr. G. I am too. You know what? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory or you can put in at Podcasting MD. See you there. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. This is Dr. G. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. I am super excited. I am a little tired because I have full disclosure, I did oversleep for this interview. So I'm going to publicly apologize to my guest. Uh, I had every intention of getting up my usual five o'clock or whatever it is. And the alarm went off at six and I was already still sleeping. So I had her waiting patiently. So I'm super sorry about that. And I just want to publicly do that. So today we have Fitz Kohler, right? Did I say right? Okay, fantastic. And she is going to tell you all about who she is and all the amazing things that she is up to. Well, I am a person who does a whole heck of a lot of things helping people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. I have a master's in exercise and sports sciences. I've been teaching fitness for decades. And I do that mostly via mass media, TV, radio, books, magazines, corporate presentations. I do keynotes and I own a large school running program called the Morning Mile, which is in about 400 schools globally. And I'm also a professional race announcer. And that's probably one of the more interesting things I do. I'm in the start and finish lines of some of the most giant and prestigious running events in the United States, hopefully soon to be outside of the United States as well. But yeah, I get athletes often by the tens of thousands welcomed, organized, informed, engaged, and then I whip them into a frenzy and I yell go and they take off and go do their distance, whether it be one mile, three miles, six, 10, 26, and I move to another stage at the fitness, at the finish line. So I do that. I'm also an author, a two-time author, and I make lots of happy noise. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you have, um, there's a lot of things, like you said, but I am sure that there is a backstory that leads up to all of these things. So what was it that got you interested in fitness in the first place? Uh, good question. I always, I grew up playing sports and at about 14, I got tackled playing soccer and blew out my right knee requiring surgery. Before surgery, I went to physical therapy and I thought, gee, this is something I'd be interested in doing. I really like the gym atmosphere. I like the concept of helping people. And then post-surgery, I went back to physical therapy and that PT started scratching at my incision. And I thought, yuck, that's disgusting. I would never want to touch people's incision. I'm a squeamish person. So PT went out the window. But when I left PT, I was told to join the gym. And I did. I joined a little spa lady gym in South Florida. And I fell in love. I loved working out. I loved taking classes. I thought the instructors were really cool. 
And so my big jobs up until that point was I was the birthday clown at a skating rink, which is very fitting. That actually is a precursor to what I do now. But then I went on to make cinnamon buns at Cinnabon in the mall. And I was doing that. And the very mean new manager, Ronnie, just was horrible. And I decided, ah, fooey on this. I'm quitting Cinnabon. And I applied at the gym and they hired me, thank goodness. And I started teaching classes and I was, I was a natural at it. It really, it was something that I was good at. I enjoyed helping people and I, I just continued to progress in that career I, through my teens. I mean, I was 20 and I had already taught fitness on a cruise ship in Europe, I hosted a TV show by 20. Wow. That's really cool. I mean, that's quite a, a CV first. I mean, at such a young age. So how did you, I mean, so how did you end up getting all of those opportunities? I mean, how did you end up getting a TV show? how did you end up getting to be on a cruise ship? I mean, those, those things aren't just, um, yeah, it's not like you're just kind of sitting around and someone just drops that in your lap. There had to be some kind of entree there. Yeah, so I am a pro at doing the creative career. You know, that I know I knew from the get-go there was never going to be a job that I could apply for that would satisfy me. You know, nothing existed that would allow me to do what I wanted to do. So, you know, teaching fitness on a cruise ship is something that was kind of weird and strange and I heard about it from someone else through the grapevine. And I thought, hey, that sounds fun, I'll apply. And I did, and what's interesting is um, back then we had to create a video. So I, I had someone take a video of me teaching. So, you know, that position existed. I just only was gonna do that for part-time. But what I learned back then was the skill of negotiating because there was only two, uh, they call them concessions that host gyms, that manage gyms on various cruise lines. So I applied to them both. And they both hired me and uh -huh. I didn't even realize this, but as offer, one offered me a job on a small ship in Cape Canaveral going to the Bahamas, I thought, oh, that's great. And then the next company said, hey, what if we put you on the Canard line, the QE2, leaving Miami yeah. for week-long uh -huh. cruises, Caribbean, okay. And then I went back to concession number one and said, thank you very much, but I'm going to take the QE2 instead. They said, wait, hold on. And then they came back and said, hey, we have the nicest ship in the world, the Crystal Harmony. It's a five-star cruise liner sailing through all of Scandinavia, Russia, Estonia, the Med. Are you interested? And I said, uh, yeah. So I was able to negotiate a better deal, even though I didn't know I was doing it. It was a producer, just wanted to create his own fitness show and had an audition. And again, I didn't create that position, but I had the gumption to give it a go. And what I found at doing that was that teaching to the television for me was no different than teaching to a, a class. So there was no fear involved. And then it really allowed me to reach people that I really would not have in my own small social circles. And as I went throughout my business and, you know, living in town and so forth, strangers, strangers that I never would have come into communication with we're reaching out saying, thanks. You helped me lose so much weight. I love your show. You're my favorite instructor. Fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh gosh, I mean, there was particularly a very overweight waitress at a barbecue restaurant and she's not someone anyone would have looked at and thought, Hey, she's exercising. But she said, are you fit? And I said, I am. She goes, oh my God, I love your show. And I've lost 17 pounds. And I melted inside. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to help this woman. This is so cool. And so that was the turning point where I fell in love with mass media. And I knew I, I couldn't settle for a gym atmosphere and I couldn't settle for personal training. I wanted 
to impact mass amounts of people. In fact, I wanted to impact everybody. So, you know, I, I work really, really hard to reach across as many barriers as I can. I mean, I wanna, I wanna help the people in the mountains of As Afghanistan. If I could get out there and teach them about <laughs> yeah, yeah. fitness is unpolitical. I wanna help the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents. I just want, I want everybody to live better and longer and, and health will certainly allow them to do that. No, absolutely. I mean, it's something that is, uh, it is ubiquitous and very helpful, like you mentioned. Um, Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, that is a, that is a very awesome testament that you just, uh, testimony that you just shared because, you know, you set out to basically uh, pursue a passion of yours, right? And then it turned out that it's something that has impacted so many people. And, you know, you saw the scope like on the initial level in the gym. And then you saw even more possibilities when you were on the ship and then even more possibilities when you did the show. And just to have those individuals come to you and say, hey, you know, Fitz, you've been, you've been a, a huge uh, game changer for me. It's just, that had to be some pretty intense um, impetus to continue, right? And then yeah. now you're at that point where you're kind of like, okay, now I can even reach even more people. And so that's very exciting. Was there ever any fear associated with any of those moves that you made? For really trivial stuff and, I, and it's common, So, but it's stuff I've had to learn to get over. And I actually teach workshops at college campuses about just I, about the dumb mistakes I made, the dumb perceptions, but I used to fear asking for opportunities. You know, my greatest fear at one point were people telling me no. And as I was building my business, I really faced a lot of moments where I bowed down. I didn't take the opportunity to ask for the opportunity or ask for the sale. And I also happened to be competitively full contact kickboxing at the time. And so while I was brave enough to walk into a ring in front of thousands of people with someone who wanted to knock me clear unconscious, I was terrified to pick up the phone and make a, a call and ask, you know? So one day after a particularly brutal training session, I left the gym and, you know, that's a long story short, but I ended up having the revelation that, you know what? I just fought four different people. <laughs> and I'm afraid to call and ask this guy for an opportunity. It was an editor of a magazine. They kept writing articles about me and butchering everything, butchering oh, the dear. name, butchering the content, <laughs> making up quotes. It was horrible. And I really wanted to write the article. I was afraid to ask. And I was, a, I was a talented writer. So finally, I had this aha moment in my car when I picked up a magazine that was just horribly written, had beautiful photos of me, terrible content. And so I picked up and I said, you know, Bob, I don't remember his name. Hey, Bob, this is Fitz. Oh, hey, Fitz, how you doing? Great. You know, I was thinking I would really like to write an article for you. He goes, oh, that would be great. That would, we'd love that Fitz. How much do you want? And so I thought, oh my gosh, he said yes. And he's going to give me money. Yes. And that was really one of those aha moments where I thought this fear is foolish. So unless it incurs bleeding, bruising, or broken bones, I do not back down from anything. And quite often, even if it may incur bleeding, bruising, or broken bones, <laughs> he'll go get what I want. Every time. Oh, I love that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Because I always tell people, like, even on the show, I'm always telling the tribe, like, look, man, if if it turns out that this fear that you have is not going to be deleterious to your physical form, okay, I get it. Then maybe you might not want to do it. But if it doesn't, and you are like, will still be alive after, mm, should go for what? it. Should go for it. Nothing to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. Absolutely. No, that's great. I love that. (laughs) If it doesn't incur. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I love that. It's great. Wow. Okay. And then, so now, so now, so you told, you took us through beautifully through your, um, your backstory, which I absolutely love. And then, so now, um, so tell us now how you got into, so you mentioned that you're doing announcing for um, the major races across the United States. And they also mentioned the morning mile program. Do you mind telling us a little bit more backstory on the morning mile program? Yeah, so uh, I have two children, and back when they were three and five, and my daughter Ginger, she was the five-year-old, started kindergarten. She had friends that were going to other elementary schools. I would get together with the moms, and one of the moms kept saying, oh, my son Aiden is running before school. I kept thinking, wow, I wish Ginger could do that. I wish my kids could do that. That sounds great. I mean, what a great way to spend (laughs) energy. It sounded really fun. The kids were motivated and uh, turn your brain on. And so I kept wishing it was for my kids. And then finally, I've owned my business for 30 years now. Finally, that it kicked in. I went, oh, I wish all kids could do this. That's really the secret to um, reducing many of the issues we have, behavior issues. And so I went to those schools that were having before school running programs and they said, hey, can you share with me what you're doing? I would like to create something duplicatable. And so they said, sure. They shared with me their best practices. I added the things that I thought would make it even better. I got corporations to sponsor the program because we offer a stereo system of rewards stuff to make it work as well as possible. And within a year, I think I had 50 programs going and that was 11 years ago. So um, right now I have over 400 programs in various schools around the world and it's not enough. I want every school in America And I, of course, would like to continue to expand beyond, but it's 30 minutes before school. The kids can show up at their leisure, walk or run as much as they want. It's awesome. Most of our schools have a 90 plus percent uh, participation rate, which is almost everybody. We exclude nobody. We exclude no parents, no teachers, bus drivers. We want everyone. And while some programs of all sorts are too busy cutting people in half saying only girls or only boys or only white kids or only black kids. I want all the kids. I want them all. I love them all. And there's no reason they all shouldn't have the opportunity to get active before school in a, a skillless activity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause I mean, it, yes, you know, if you have, if you have the ability to move your legs and matter of fact, I think if you don't and you have your wheelchair, you can still wheel around the the track. So, I mean, you're, I mean, it is, it is definitely something that we all can participate in. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And we do have plenty of kids in wheelchairs, kids with downs, blind kids, kids with all sorts of levels of ability. Thank you for doing that. That's, uh, that's definitely, uh, something that's needed because, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, they are cutting a lot of things in schools, which, you know, it's kind of like counterintuitive. Like, why would you cut 
a music program or why would you cut an athletic program when these are things that are going to help the child's mind as well? I mean, it's not necessarily like reading, writing and arithmetic, but it is still, I mean, music is math, <laughs> and so, you know, and it's coordination and it's like, it's like higher, higher brain function, um, which is that only going to enhance the ability to, to transfer to other things, other subjects and physical activity, as you mentioned, I mean, there have been so many books that have been written uh, talking about the correlation between, you know, physical activity and your academic excellence and your ability to cognitively absorb and, um, and translate things, right? So if you get the kid up and you get the kid moving around and they have uh, all of those, um, all of those endorphins kind of cooking around, cooking, and then they go into class and they use that energy and they transform it into, you know, acquired knowledge, then you're, you're, you're golden, you know? So and, and it does boost all the other things. I mean, it's like, not only if you feel good, right? More than like, if you feel good, you're gonna more than likely be able to concentrate. You're gonna be able to participate. You're gonna feel more confident in what you're doing. And you're gonna wanna ask questions if you don't understand. I mean, there's just so many things. The ripple effect is tremendous. So um, yeah, no, no, I think that's great. That is absolutely great. And so, and so, so tell us now how you got involved with the racings, the races. Uh, so I'm a sport performance expert and I was teaching plenty of clinics for athletes, various, various strength training for triathlons, strength training for runners, uh, recover and pain prevention clinics, you name it, I teach it. And I run series for Walt Disney World. They had me continuously coming in to present to their athletes and they had a spectacular race announcer, a guy named Rudy Novotny, just one of the best in the business. And not only did he announce the races, but he hosted the speaker series at the expo. So he was constantly introducing me uh, for my time on the stage. And then he'd sit back and he'd listen. And he was always very flattering. He'd always say, you know what? We have a lot of people come in and speak. You're our only professional speaker. You're the only one who engages the crowd. You're the only one, only one. And he would do this race after race. Well, sometimes they bring someone to talk about sports bras. Who knows about sports bras, but isn't a presenter, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm saying, oh my God, Disney, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Disney really, yeah, they, 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 they don't always book professionals and professional speaking is different than someone who- Yes, wants it is. Pay, yes, it is. Right? Mm -hmm. So Indeed. he's always harping on that. And finally, hey, I don't know what to do with this information anymore. You always, you always say it, it feels disparaging to the other presenters. He goes, you know what? I know what to do with it. He said, I'm hosting the, or announcing the Orange County Marathon in California mm -hmm. in a few months. I need a co-announcer. Would you be interested? And I said, well, nice. I've never done it before. But I'd, I'd love to give it a shot. And so he showed me the ropes and that race director, Gary Kutcher, thankfully hired me within, you know, we had a very short phone conversation and about an hour after I yelled go for the first time, he came over and said, can you come back next year? And awesome. that was awesome. wonderful. And it's kind of spun out of control. I have- <laughs> Spun out of control. <laughs> Yeah, it's wonderful. I have, I have so many, so many incredible running events out of all the race. There's not really a lot of people who race announced professionally, but I, I'm confident my schedule is the best in the business. I by far have the best race announcing schedules. So great. Such a fun thing to do. And then, so here's the golden question. I'm sure everybody's wanting to know. Um, do they like fly you out to the races, the race locations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an actual job. So I have a fee, you know, I'll tell people I charge X amount. Right. It does vary. If I have a very busy 
marathon weekend with four races and I'm teaching two clinics and I'm hosting a VIP party, that'll pay more than someone who's hiring me just to, you know, announce a 5k, 10k. But yeah, there's a fee attached. They pay my airfare, they pay hotels and they feed me. Nice. And, and here's the thing. Here's the best part. I become a non-expense because I have gathered such a huge group of friends and fans that if I announce a race, so many people register because I'm announcing that they cover my expenses. Oh, that's awesome. A profit center. So I'm actually a really wise investment for a race director. Fabulous. Fabulous. Okay. And then, um, <laughs> no, that's, this that, is, that's great. No, no, absolutely. No, you should definitely, um, let it be known if it's true. And it sounds like it is. So it's awesome. Um, so then the next thing is, uh, so yeah. How can, how can people reach out to you if they want to, well, it sounds like you have, um, you have a means in which people can reach out to you for races and race announcements. Um, what else can they reach out to you for and how would they do that? Well, I can tell you one of the things I'm really hoping people will check out is I have a brand new book out. It's called My Noisy Cancer Comeback. And uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in early February of 19, and I endured 15 months of chemo, mm. radiation surgeries. I went through the whole gauntlet, and it was a nightmare, but I also made the absolute best of it and filled this book with all sorts of kind of hilarious stories, and I never stopped working. I also get raw and real about the gory details. So, um, but yeah, that's available worldwide on Amazon and so forth, but my home base is fitness.com. That's F-I-T-Z. N is in Nancy, E-S-S.com. So the word fitness with my Z in the middle, fitness, everything's there. Articles, workouts, a ton of free resources. Everything is free for people if they want to just learn about getting fit and eating wisely. My book, you got to pay for, but that's available. Well, and hey, I yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the paperback and hardcover books are available at fitness.com and I autograph every last one of them. So if you have a favorite patient, patient, survivor, caregiver, just a favorite runner that'd be interested, you can get those at fitness.com. It's also available audiobook. And I am at fitness on all my social media channels. Facebook and Instagram are my favorites. And I'm hoping that if people follow, that you also reach out and say, hey, I heard you on. Dr. Mm -hmm. G's podcast. I wanted to say hi because I, you know, followers are great, but I'd rather have friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's great. That is fantastic. And, you know, um, that is a journey that is not, um, unfortunately, not an infrequent journey, the journey that you described, where you talk right. about your surviving breast cancer. Um, breast cancer is such a, a cancer that touches so many people's lives. And, you know, I'm definitely um, encouraged to hear about your story because, you know, there there are types of breast cancer that we don't always talk about that are not curable, right? Um, and, you know, personally, I have lost one of my nursing colleagues to that particular flavor. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's something that we need to be definitely talking a lot more because we need to, as women, be raising awareness about it because it is such a thing that can be a total game changer. And 
at some time, sometimes can be a game ender. And so, you know, I appreciate you telling your story as a survivor, because that is encouraging to those who may not be getting their mammograms, may not be checking their breasts when they're, you know, um, at the end of the month or whenever it is that they, they would check once a month um, to make sure they're not feeling any irregularities, make sure they're not feeling any, any lumps or there's no dimpling or anything like that so that they can get the care that they need to find out if this is one that um, basically is going to be treatable. Um, so important. Um, a bunch of my colleagues are, I have a several colleagues that are like uh, radiation, like um, radon uh, physicians or um, uh, pure oncology or, um, they basically deal with women who are essentially having this particular problem. So, you know, we love to hear the stories of survivors. And we love that because that is, that is the most powerful thing. And it's not, it's not, you know, us as physicians talking about doing your breast exams. It's not us as physicians talking about getting a mammogram. It is individuals like yourself who say, yes, you know, they're, I had this thing and, and I'd be curious if you're interested in sharing just a little tidbit about how you discovered you had it, because I think that also will be helpful because a lot of times, you know, we may think um, we're too young. We're not, we're not 40 yet. So like my cousin, my cousin was in a 30 in her thirties when she had breast cancer and hopefully she doesn't mind me sharing that, but my cousin was in her thirties and, you know, she discovered it because she was checking her breasts. Right. And so we often know, okay, I'm going to get a pap smear or whatever, but we don't often know to check our breasts because we just take them for granted, you know? And it's so important that we, we do that. So if you don't mind sharing how you discovered that you had it, um, I think that would be very helpful to the audience. Of course. So first of all, I've always been a proponent, both personally and professionally, of annual exams. They matter. You take your car in every year or every six months. You got to prior prioritize your health. And that's breast exam, testicles, colon, vision, skin, all of it is important to get checked. And uh, yeah, doctors are, are there are far more important than mechanics. And so I actually had a clean mammogram in December of 2018, less than seven weeks later in a hotel bathroom at a race week. And I got out of the shower. I had an itch. I rubbed my under boob and I found it. And this was a real pivot point for me is I found it and I didn't call my mom and cry. I didn't call my girlfriends and say, what do I do? Or, or put my head in the sand. I instantly picked up my cell phone and I called my doctor and I said, hey, I found a lump. And they said, uh, let's get you in. And so yes. within a couple of days, I had that appointment. A few days after, back for a mammogram, had an ultrasound. And, you know, uh, the radiology oncologist, she said, yeah, I see the tumor looks kind of disconcerting or that mass, but you have three hard swollen lymph nodes. I'm concerned about. And that was a real stressor for me. That instantly let me know that it had spread and I was going to have to have chemo. And it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And I am the most positive person in the world. Um, but I definitely believed I was dying. I just thought for certain, you know, I've got this perfect little family, perfect career. I'm, I am the beacon of health and happiness. I am definitely going to die because I make too much of a, of a, perfect tale, right? You know, it's one in eight women, right, which means right. if y'all go out to ladies night, at least one of you is looking at it. And then I learned that 94% of all breast cancer cases are curable, which is fantastic. Yes. yes. But with the occurrence rate so high, 6% is still a lot of women. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So yeah, it's not just the annual exams. You must get those. They're mandatory. You have to. They're not an option. They are non-optional. You get those annual exams. However, you set an alarm in your cell phone and every Wednesday morning when you wake up, beep, beep, squeeze your boobs. And so I've traveled around this country bald and gray and I've stood on all of those stages and told everyone there, it's your hands, it's your stuff. There's Put your hands in your shirt and squeeze your stuff. Guys, put your hands in your pants. Shoot, men get breast cancer too. So we they have do. to be our own best advocates, our you know, doctors don't creep into our room in the middle of the night, lift up the sheet and start looking around, have to bring the doctor and say, hey, check it out. And if we find something weird, you know, a lump in your breast is a red flag. A black spot on your skin is a red flag. Stabbing pains in your chest is a red flag. If you had your check engine light go on in your car, you'd almost certainly head over to the mechanics and get it checked out. So those lumps, those bumps, those pains are red flags. You have to bring them in. Yes. So I did, I ended up with, uh, I don't know, 15 months of chemo, 33 rounds of radiation, couple oh. surgeries. I was brutalized by chemo. I was brutalized by the whole process. It was very scary and stressful. However, you know, at some point you have to control what you can. And I sure did. I chose an elite medical team that I had full faith in. I chose to accept their recommendations and pursue their treatment plans. And then I chose to have perspective. I chose that uh, to be grateful that I wasn't a child with cancer because that would be way worse. I was grateful it wasn't my child. And for me, I was grateful it wasn't one of the, you know, I didn't get hit by a bus. I still had a chance. You know, there's some people that just boom, they're dead. I didn't have that. So, you know, I, I, I cried over stress. I cried for fear. I never had the pity part. And so, you know, that's one of the things the book is filled with my weird little tales of sh showing up in California, being driven to a hydration salon to get IV fluids and then, you know, sleeping on the hotel bathroom floor sick and then getting up and hosting 25,000 people like nothing was wrong. So uh, there's a lot of good fun stuff. And then, you know, those passions they kept me going. Was it hard work to get on all those flights, 30 something flights throughout chemo? Yeah, it was hard work. Was it worth it? You bet your booty it was. Every single move I made was worth it. It brought my, uh, my spirit up. You know, it allowed me to enjoy parts of life when things were so bad. I still had these moments of grandeur. And then I also chose to be positive. You know, you get no extra points being the most pathetic, sad, miserable person in the room. So if somebody said something funny, I took the opportunity to laugh. And, nice. and, and I'm not dismissing all the hard stuff. And the, and the book is filled with hard stuff because it was never ending hard stuff. But I also, I made those choices that allowed me to have quite a bit of good stuff amidst the misery. And uh, so right now the book is that some people are dubbing it the breast cancer Bible or the nice, manual nice. on thriving while surviving. It's, you know, I love that people are enjoying it, but the fact that patients and survivors and caregivers are saying, thank you. This has helped me. This makes my situation better is a real gift. So yeah, it's my noisy cancer comeback, but you can have one too. No, that's, that's definitely awesome. I love that. Love that. And again, thank you. Thank you for putting your story out there. Um, Cause I know that's not something that is easy to share. I mean, I'm sure it's, you've shared it so many times now and you've shared it publicly with the book that it's 
somewhat easier, but the initial time I'm sure was not easy. So I thank you for being brave in that way. What I can tell you is that the, the reality is, is if I wasn't going to lose my hair, if I wasn't going to show up on those stages bald, I would have kept the whole thing a secret. Oh, wow. You no, know, I was like, I just, I'm a, my health, my career is a beacon of health and happiness. I don't want to drag people down with my medical nonsense, but you know, because of my drastic appearance change that was coming, I decided to make an announcement, but I never once along the way told anyone I was feeling less than great. So as people ask, how are you? I'd say, I'm great. I kept the gory details to myself. I'm also averse to pity. You know, I don't know. I, I have no victim mentality. I just, I don't have it. I, I can never be like, well, I'm a girl or I'm a woman. You're picking on me because I'm a woman. Screw that. Mm -hmm. I'm physical or I get what I want. I do what I want. And if, if I get told no, I find a way around it. And uh, cancer also wasn't going to turn me into a victim. It made me sick. I get it. But it didn't victimize me. And so I kept all the hard stuff under the radar until I was done. And then, you know, I let it all hang out in the book. I figured if I was going to tell the tale, I had to tell it completely. And there's so many things nobody ever tells you about cancer treatment or the side yeah. effects. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> underworld. Nobody, yes. My eyes changed colors. My nostril hair fell out. My fingers rotted out on my fingers. I mean, the amount of bizarre, freaky, yes. strange Twilight Zone stuff. You know, I thought, how come nobody talks about this? So I decided to talk about it. And, um, you know, it's to great reviews, thankfully. So. No, great. No, that's good. Absolutely. No, thank you again for doing that. Absolutely. Wow. This has been such a great conversation. I know the tribe is loving it. Oh, my goodness. We touched on so many different things. And... You, I mean, the end where you're talking about this amazing, essentially public service announcement and endorsement and inspiration and um, just a amazing educational campaign for people who are in that particular position currently, maybe at the beginning of the journey, maybe in the middle of the journey. I mean, I know they're going to reach out for you, your book, because I mean, it clearly has the you know, nuts and bolts of what is it like to be in the shoes of somebody who is going through that, which is so needed. So thank you again for doing that. Here is the deal. We are at that point in the show where we are going to do our fill in the blank. So Fitz, are you ready? Yeah. All right. Awesome. The first one is if I am fearless, I will. Control everything I can. Awesome. Awesome. The next one is to me, fearless freedom means not being a victim of what happens to me and reacting the way in a way that benefits me. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then last but not least, my battle cry is I can do hard things. Love it. And you have been, you've been doing it all along. That is clear. You are a manifestation of your battle cry. It's absolutely awesome. 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 Oh, you have it on the back of your phone. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got with the book. So I'm sharing it. I oh, that's awesome. No, that's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. 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 Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And thank you again for um, being completely flexible with my little oversleeping snafu. I'm still getting used to the huge time difference that there is between here and the States. And so occasionally this does happen. So I apologize to you again. And thank Thank you so much for being so, um, so good about it.